Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. This is what the Lord says. The people who survived the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on the level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Good morning. Uh, I'm not Emily McGinley. Uh, <laughs> My name is John Shangyo, and uh, my wife and I have been at Urban Village for two years now. About two years now, and so it's a blessing to be with everybody. And so, when I was young, uh, in order to keep our visa to the United States, my parents put up a business where we would have seniors live with us in our home, and my mom and dad would provide uh, nursing home care. And of our patients, I remember Uncle Richard the most fondly. Richard was Japanese-American, and he loved baseball. And I remember that during the anthem before games, he would always remove the baseball cap that was otherwise never off of his head, and he would stand solemnly silent in our TV room until right at the end where he would sing, And the land of the free, and the home of the brave. Now often my dad would send me down to watch baseball with Richard. I think dad did this a little bit so that I would live and learn that Asian prime directive of respecting your elders, uh, but mostly so that I could make sure that Richard didn't unroll and hoard all the toilet paper when his dementia kicked in. I never knew why he did this um, until at Richard's funeral, his brother Yoshi finally told me that when they were sent to the internment camps in World War II, 
they had kept and traded toilet paper as a luxury item. Richard's dementia was causing him to remember and take on some of the behaviors that he had in the camps. The same camps where they had learned to play baseball and where Richard had learned to take off his cap for the national anthem. Richard's story demonstrates that too often the home of the brave fails to be the land of the free. We might champion the rights of people abroad and yet fail our people at home. But our passage for today reminds us that not only is it important to tear down the bulwarks of injustice around the world, but that it is equally important to ensure that our nation and our city are themselves places of refuge and sanctuary for those who are oppressed. Our passage tells us that God's intent for Israel was as a place where those who survived the sword could find peace. God brings to Israel the blind and the lame. God welcomes women who are with child to the fold of God's family. And when all this is done, God promises Israel that God will be faithful and that their nation will be built up. And yet, when I look at our nation today, rather than gather those who survived the sword, we refuse the refugee. Instead of caring for the blind and the lame, we fail to provide adequate health care, especially for the undocumented, but even to the neediest of our own citizens. We might preach family values, and yet we tear mothers from their children every day because they bore their children in a country they themselves weren't born in. But family, if God tells us that care, compassion, and welcome are the things that will build up Israel as a nation, it's hard for me to see how doing the opposite will make our nation great again. God promises us that the hand extended in welcome will build the nation better than the invisible hand of the market. Now, God doesn't promise us a higher GDP. God doesn't measure national interest the way an economist or a pundit or a businessman does in profit margins. Our passage reminds us that God is a shepherd, and God will go to extraordinary lengths to bring the one stray lamb back to the flock. So when God says, extend the welcome and I will build your nation, God means watch your priorities and your joy transform. Gather in those who seek sanctuary that their songs will sing out over Zion and they shall be the radiant goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord, the treasures of the kingdom are not found then in what can be generated or produced by people, but rather they are reflected in people. Now, family, when we talk about welcome and making our communities places of justice and care and diversity, it's important to speak on a broad scale. The world is called to justice. But Richard's story and our passage for this morning remind us that while we remove the specks of injustice from eyes on the horizon, we must keep a close eye to make sure that the homegrown logs of sin do not damn the waters of justice from rolling down and bring the brooks of water 
that quiet the souls of the weeping. Our passage this morning reminds us that while we must actively seek justice in the world, we must make our home a place where those in the world who seek justice can find it. For there is nothing so prophetic as a city on a hill that serves not only as a beacon for those who seek justice, but a beckoning to those who are fleeing injustice. The fight for justice must be taken to the ends of the earth, but it begins at home. En nuestros calle, nuestros barrio, nuestra ciudad, on our streets, our neighborhood, our city. Our nation must be a safe space. Our city must be a refuge. And our church must be a sanctuary. And in many ways, we are. And we strive to be even more. That's why I think so many of us come from the suburbs, from Indiana, from all different parts of the city, from all walks of life to gather in this place. Because we find a place of welcome. Whether you're gay, straight, fluid, red, blue, black, white, Latino, Asian, documented or undocumented, happy or hurting, Cubs or Sox, Packers or Bears, or screw the NFL Kaepernick forever. <laughs> I'm a Niners fan, by the way. You are welcome here. You have not just wandered into this space. You have not just been invited. God, who is love, has gathered you in from the wilderness and brought you here. Sisters, brothers, and non-binary siblings, the welcome is only the first part. Don't get me wrong, it's never been more important to remember that God uses the diverse and flourishing city as the image of God's intention for all of human community and human activity. Revelation reminds us that the holy city is one where the gates are always open and people bring into it the glory and honor of every nation. In the city where God reigns, the government of God does not shut down in order to build walls. God isn't the president of the United States, and Chicago is not the heavenly city. This is a hell of a lot more complicated. But if we are committed to loving our neighbors to the fullness of their individuality, we have to admit that our wants and needs may not always line up. They may even conflict. But to be truly committed to the city, we need to be committed to complexity. Even if we declare ourselves a sanctuary city, even refuse to cooperate with an administration who can, can't tell us apart from a Wild West film and actively tries to deport our fellow Chicagoans, while we might declare ourselves a place of welcome, we're still far from the place where mourning is always turned into joy, where the young women rejoice in the dance, the young men and the old men are merry, and where we shall never languish again. Our stance on sanctuary is a bold promise. Our city is a land of promise, but it is far from the promised land. So how do we get to the promised land? When we read the scripture, we stand on the mountaintop where the broad and far-reaching vision of God for the city is clear. 
But the red lines and borders that specifically block our way are obscure. How then do we get ourselves back down into the valley of the shadow of death where the powers and principalities that stand in our way are clear and whose resistance we must overcome if we are to build the land that God intends? The Bible isn't a reference guide for the particulars of policy. God does not ordain city ordinances. And while Scripture tells us who may cast stones, it doesn't tell us for whom to cast our ballots. But our passage points us to where we can take direction. God says that it is with weeping that the people come, and that it is with consolations that God leads them back. Though the Bible doesn't tell us what steps to take along the way, the Bible does tell us that the way towards justice is marked by a trail of tears. The path to the promised land is not paved with concrete, with compassion. The city of God is not built with stones, but with songs. Listen for the cries of the languishing, because that is the voice of God's instruction on how to build a better world. Let us listen to one another, to those who say our prisons are overcrowded and dehumanizing. Let us listen to those who say that they can't afford their health care. Let us listen to those who say they need to be recognized on the outside for who they are on the inside, regardless of our cultural categories on gender and sexual orientation. Let us listen to those who stand at the door and knock hoping to be let in and included, lest in the end when we knock at the door of the holy city, Christ says, I do not know you. For Jesus says, what we do for the least of these, you do for me. But even if we listen to our neighbors and commit ourselves to the idea of inclusivity and welcome, making concrete decisions and taking actual action to make ourselves a welcoming community is hard. On the one hand, the least of these isn't too far away. We don't need to shout to the ancient lands to send us their tired, their poor, their huddled masses. There's a homeless man who sleeps on the field right across the north door of our church that Marcus and I know by name. On the other hand, I've never invited him to our church to share the meal we eat after we're done with the preaching and the singing. I've never welcomed him or the half dozen or so people who like him sleep in that field in the winter into this space, into this place that has been both a sanctuary as a space of worship and a sanctuary in the spiritual, emotional, and communal sense for so many of us. Even as I think about it now, in my head, I know that to do so would very much jive with the word of God. When Jesus tells the parable of the feast, he says, when you make a feast, ask the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind, not just your friends and kin. But the idea still makes me uncomfortable. I ask myself, would this be okay? One homeless person? How about two or three or ten? Will we have enough food? Is it safe? Why don't we do this already? Family, we do already extend the welcome. It's important that we set a symbolic table and welcome everyone to it because there are so many who have been told that Christ doesn't want them. But I want to challenge us to think about extending the welcome even further. 
What would it be like to walk out that door and bring everyone in to actually eat with us? It's important that the bathroom doors have signs that say that where you do your business is your business, and that we don't deny anyone the fullness of their identity just to satisfy our cultural categories. But what about bringing in those people who haven't seen the inside of a shower in weeks or months? We have to ask ourselves as a community, honestly, how far does the welcome extend? It's not a rhetorical question or one designed to get you to recite the mantra that love has no limits or that we're bold, inclusive, and relevant. Even a city of refuge in the Bible has walls and gates that kept out those who would harm those who would seek shelter inside them. If we're going to be committed to the city, we have to ask ourselves where the city limits are. We have to ask ourselves where have we placed the limits of our inclusivity. But more importantly, we need to ask ourselves what it means to be bold enough to expand the scope of our relevance beyond the limits of what we now conceive. Do the walls we build serve as a protection, providing a safe space for the languishing? Or do they serve simply to keep out those people and things that make us uncomfortable? It's a tough path to navigate, especially when you consider that there are so many forms of oppression, so many people who are languishing, the sick, the lame, the poor, the refugee, the outcast, the immigrant, the stranger. Our passage mentions all of these things and while the city of God can welcome them all and bring them into perfect harmony, the city of Chicago doesn't always work like that. Less than a mile away from here, for instance, the Obama Library Development Building could bring much-needed infrastructure and opportunities to the community. But will it price out and gentrify to the point where people get pushed out? How do we balance these goods? It's easy to say cooperate until the goods that we want, even the goods that we need and the goods that God has promised us that are part of God's vision for human life. It's easy to say cooperate until these goods start to compete. To be honest, I'm not sure what it will take to bring this city a little closer to the holy city, to be a city that not only welcomes all, but also provides for all so that sorrow may be exchanged for gladness. But what I do know is that not being sure isn't an excuse for not trying or for giving up. It's when things get hard that commitment is key. Stay committed to being a sanctuary and a refuge. Stay committed to justice abroad and at home. Stay committed to asking the hard questions and making the hard decisions. Stay committed to community. Stay committed to complexity. Stay committed to the city. When it comes to providing places of refuge and sanctuary in the complicated mess that is our world right now, let me leave you with this advice from, at least in his own mind, the greatest poet to come out of Chicago since Carl Sandburg. Reach for the stars, so if you fall, you land on a cloud. Jump in the crowd, spark your lighters, wave them around. If you don't know by now, I'm talking about Chi-Town.
how many of you had your feelings hurt in that sermon? Now, this is not a rhetorical question. I expect an actual answer. Raise your hand, say, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. How many of you felt like your toes were stepped on in that sermon? It's okay, because mine got hurt. I'm wearing Toms. There's no protection for my feet. <laughs> my toes feel like they have been run over by a truck, and they should. And it's okay to feel like your feelings have been hurt. It's okay to feel like you have not got it all together. It's okay to say, oh my goodness, I have not been doing enough for the homeless. Oh my goodness, I have not been doing enough. Somebody said something transphobic and I didn't call it out. It's okay to say, I don't know how to deal with my racist family member. It's okay to bring to this table your guilt. It's okay to feel ashamed. It's okay. It's okay for your neighbors to know that you feel guilty. It's okay for your neighbors to know that you feel ashamed. It's okay to be vulnerable in this space. It's okay to cry because you feel frustrated and powerless in a nation that you don't recognize. It is okay to be ashamed because we serve a God who saw our shame and stepped in the middle of it and still said, I love you. It is okay to be imperfect in this space. If you don't walk out of here knowing anything else, know this, God still loves me. God still calls me to be better than I am, and God is going to make up the difference. God's grace is sufficient enough for me. I am still a beloved child of God, even when I'm not acting like it. It is okay. We serve a God who on the night before he was crucified didn't decide to write a beautiful long letter, a farewell address. My dear humble servants, I, Jesus the Christ, do hereby decree unto you. No, we serve a God who took bread, just regular old. And he sat down with the people that he shared his life with. And he held this bread up and he gave thanks to God because he wanted to recognize this is a gift. He knew that he didn't make the bread. Somebody else's hands kneaded the dough. Somebody else was harvesting the grain. Somebody else worked in fields for less pay than they deserve. Somebody else whose family is possibly in danger of being deported harvested this land in an empire that was so powerful, people didn't know how to defeat it. But Jesus still gave thanks for the bread. And then he broke it and said that this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And do so in remembrance of me. And then after they had shared a meal together, Jesus took a cup. Just a regular old cup. Jesus wasn't fancy. He might have got it at the discount rack at Target. <laughs> but he took this cup. And he gave thanks to God and he shared with them. And he said, drink from this, all of you. He didn't say, drink from this if you're straight and able-bodied. 
drink from this, if you were born into the right family, if you went to Harvard or the University of Chicago instead of Chicago City College. No, Jesus said drink from this, all of you, people from Inglewood and people from Hyde Park, people from Rogers Park, people that come from the suburbs and from rural communities. Jesus said drink from this, all of you, and do so in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for all of you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Me, who walked with you. Me, who bled with you. I have come from heaven so that I could walk amongst you and know what it's like to grieve. I, who put on flesh, who became man, so that I could know what it's like to be woken up by gunshots on the south side. I, who know what it's like to be separated from my family because I too live in a land that is occupied. Drink from this, eat this bread. Remember who I am so that you can remember who you are and who you have been called to be. This meal isn't a feel-good meal. This is a fuel up meal. This is a meal that reminds you that you are a beloved child of God, no matter how much shame you bring to this table, no matter how much privilege you bring to this table or lack thereof. This is a table that reminds us of who we are to each other and to the world. We are people that have been bought with a price so that we could go out into the world and to be a blessing. So I invite everyone who wants to, to come forward and to receive some bread, to receive some gluten-free bread if you need it, to receive some wine so that you can remember who you are. You are a beloved child of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you came from, God loves you. God invites you. And God challenges you to go out into the world and to share this message with everyone else. What do we mean by bold, inclusive, and relevant? We're so bold, we believe God loves us. We're so inclusive, we believe that God loves the rest of them too. And we're so relevant, we're going to do something about it. Amen? Amen. So God, pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, empowered by his Holy Spirit, moving in this world and sharing the love with people that we've never even met before, meeting with the homeless person whose name we know and inviting them in to have a meal with us, meeting with that person on the corner who we just give side eye to and saying, what do you need? How can I help you? I don't have a lot, but what I have, I freely give. God, empower us through this meal to be Jesus to the people we meet. In his name we pray. Amen. As our servers come forward, I just want to give you a little bit of instruction.